This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Baptism is about building bridges. And baptized people go to the place where there's more hurts, where there's more pain, and they're unafraid because they're baptized. And so I think that that liturgy, in a sense, the kind of remembering our baptism, the leaning into our baptism, helps us live with hope and courage, I think, in big and small ways. we go back to go forward? What would it look like to go back in our own stories and retrace the import of baptism? And what would it look like to go back all the way to the early church to see how baptism could actually unite some of the divisions we're seeing right now? Well, in this lovely conversation with Kevin J. Adams, we talk about his new book, Living Underwater, Baptism as a Way of Life. You'll want to listen in. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. All right. It is really fun to have Kevin Adams on the podcast with us today. He is a author and a pastor, and he most recently has released a book called Living Underwater, Baptism as a Way of Life. So thanks so much for being here with us. Ashley, thanks for having me. It's a delight to be with you and all your listeners. Thank you. So I loved your book. um, And the cover is just so cool. I just have to say that. And I know our podcast listeners can't you know, see the cover, but you can click the link in the show notes and check out his book. But it looks like it's in water, which is pretty fantastic. Um, so, you know, as we think about baptism, you did such a great job of helping us understand all of our hangups with baptism and the fact that we don't even as Christians really know what baptism is about um, and and yet how we can be very passionate about our way of doing baptism is the right way of doing it. So thank you for threading all those needles so carefully. <laughs> oh, thanks, Ashley. And you picked up on the spirit of the book exactly. I love how you put that. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, so because I think on the one hand, baptism can feel, especially for those who grew up kind of non-denominational, e- broadly evangelical, like this silly thing we do to show that we really are serious about Jesus. Can you help us right. understand <laughs> how <laughs> it's a little more than that? Sure. Well, I I really appreciate a lot of people know what baptism is supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be a certain amount of water. It's supposed to be at a certain age. It's supposed to be in a certain setting. And we get kind of sideways if somebody thinks outside our our box. Right. But yeah, baptism is this gift from God. I, I say in one of the chapters of the book that a lot of us are trying to build our identity. I think it's a particularly American thing. And there's a lot of beauty to uh, having 
freedom to build an identity. You get to move from Southern California to Colorado. You get to move yep. <laughs> to Oregon. You get to move uh, someplace. You get to pick any job you choose. That's kind of great. But if baptism, but if um, identity is only something we build, if it's something we have to construct ourselves, at some point we become kind of failures. We become kind of people who let down ourselves. And instead to think, and we kind of add baptism to that list, right? It's Mm -hmm. something that we do to show something of who we are, something who we belong to. But I try to say what the church has said for, uh, in its wisest, deepest sense for almost all times and places, it's a gift you receive, and then it's a gift that you live. So can you imagine going through life with Martin Luther, who said, I am baptized. I love that uh, quote by him, right? There's a way to say this is a gift in all the challenges of his life. This is a gift. Yeah. And, you know, as we think about baptism as a gift that we receive, you talk throughout your book about the ways in which it is how we live life, you know, that it's kind of this this birthing into new life. And you talk about the ways in which even baptismal fonts look like a womb or look like a tomb, you know, to to get at some of these metaphors of what does it mean to to be baptized. You know, as we think about this as entrance into life, how do we actually live that out? What does it, yeah, you know, what does it look like practically to like live out our baptism and have it be somehow more important maybe than we think of it? We might just think, oh, that happened to me as a baby, or this is the weird thing that we do periodically on Sunday worship. What does it look like to claim our baptism, like Luther said, right? I am baptized. Well, that's such a wonderful question. I think it looks like a hundred sort of small and big things. I think Mm -hmm. one of the things it could look like is what we talked about with Luther going to some water every morning, splashing himself and saying, I am baptized before Mm. I'm, he wouldn't put it quite this way, but we as Americans mainly might put it before I'm Republican or Democrat, before I'm suburban or urban, before Mm -hmm. I'm rural or before I'm country music or whatever. I am baptized before all that and as mm. a guide to all of that. So that, I think, is where it starts. And then it has implications, I think, for our politics or the way we live in a politically charged and separated world. I think it has implications then for race and how we mm-hmm. think about people who are both alike and unlike us. Mm-hmm. I think it has implications for what we are against. Sometimes we get kind of all messed up in our head about what Christians should be against. Mm-hmm. But the baptism liturgy said you renounce Satan in all his ways. That's that's what you're against. <laughs> you're against evil in the world mm-hmm. uh, rather than a particular kind of politic or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's kind of it's there's a kind of a daily routine. Baptism could look like being generous with your finances as opposed to spending it all on yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Baptism could look like. Uh, being grateful in a world of kind of cranks and grumblers and haters, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I could go on, but maybe I'll pause there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so I'm just trying to think, what would it look like for me to do that? You know, like to to live into my baptism. Um, I like the water. That's helpful. Like I can wash my face and re-remember I'm baptized. But baptism also right? Ushers us into the life of the church. Um, so how do we remember communally our, our baptism so much that like we could actually live as changed Christians in the world? Um, you know, 
the, as you just mentioned, we've, we've seen so much division, so much hate, so much vitriol online, um, in a sense that those who are outside of the Christian faith see us as, uh, at the very, at the very best often, you know, kind of pious do-gooders and probably at the worst as, you know, that we're contributing to the collapse of society based on the ways in which we have sought power for the sake of power. You know, so as we think about our our reputation, you know, how might churches begin to really be molded to be like these peacemakers that you're saying through their baptism? And how might we be that as a as a corporate entity and not simply individuals? That's that's a wonderful question. And I think uh, if I, I mean, it might be a whole nother book. I realize I, I always <laughs> ask two big questions here, but I, I would love for you to at least begin to explore some of those those things. Well, that is a wonderful question, Ashley. If it leads to another book, so much the better. Right. I mean, there's always a sequel Perfect. that needs to be uh, in, yes. in the wings someplace. So this conversation can help with that. Well, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll start with some practices we have as a congregation. We have kind yeah, of a regular congregation with regular people, uh, people from all kinds of different backgrounds, maybe 30, 35 different denominational backgrounds, uh, maybe mm-hmm. 15 or so countries of origin, um, a whole bunch of people from the I don't have a church background background. And we do a number of things to try to encourage baptismal identity. So every... Mm-hmm worship service, we begin with a litany after our call to worship. We'll begin with a baptismal remembering service or Mm -hmm. part of our service, right? Where we pour Mm -hmm. water and we say a liturgy back and forth together to remember basically, or if for people Mm -hmm. who are not baptized yet, to encourage them to join the baptized. And then the church in its liturgy has always wanted to uh, help us remember our baptism. So those kind of classic components, confession of sin and assurance of pardon are mm-hmm. remembering our baptism in a sense. And at our church, we have yeah. weekly Eucharist. So that is a kind of remembering. We come with open hands. We receive the body. We receive the blood of mm-hmm. Christ. We're remembering again. And then whenever we baptize someone, we tend to take uh, this Orthodox tradition or we'll take these branches and kind of fling water into the congregation. And that becomes mm-hmm. really a moving kind of way. All of that are sort of liturgical, routine, right yeah. kind of ways to help us remember. And then the idea is at the end of the service, we're sent. And so that we live uh, as salt and light. We live as the baptized. We live with a hopefully a special kind of hope and a special kind of grace. I love, um, it's okay to like quotes in your own book as long, as long as they're not your own, I think, right? So I love the Rowan Williams quote, Archbishop. <laughs> I like Archbishop some of my of own too, so... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But uh, Rowan Williams has this idea. Or, well, I think it's an ancient Christian idea, but he says it so well. Baptism is about building bridges. And baptized people go to the place where there's more hurts, where there's uh, more pain, and they're unafraid because they're baptized. And so I think that that liturgy, in a sense, the kind of remembering our baptism, the leaning into our baptism, helps us live with hope and courage, I think, in big and mm-hmm. small ways. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the the ways in which you're, you're speaking about the kind of different liturgical elements, often churches might have that in their service, but there isn't this sense that, oh, this is, this is the life of, of the church, right? That this articulation of this is this the is, baptized right, life. Right. This is why we're doing it. And so sometimes there is, mm-hmm. we as people who lead, um, I know your husband's a pastor and you've participated in worship service as well. Sometimes mm-hmm. when we're leading 
we don't help people put all that together. But that's something we've been trying to work on the last mm. years, especially. It's beautiful. As a gift, right? How do you just, you know, as a pastor, deal with all of these different approaches to baptism and different, uh, you know, maybe some... Some are Pado baptists some are credo baptists you know, all of these different ways in which we have delineated who's in and who's out. But um, how do you create a space of unity for these differing views of baptism? Yeah, that's um, one of the challenges with people from so many different backgrounds. When I first, our, our church spent a year, uh, nine or 10 years ago, thinking about baptism and that what that's what gave rise to the book. And I remember suggesting yep. this um to our staff, hey, we should think about baptism for a year, but for this next year, that should be the theme of the year. And I remember them very clearly saying, uh, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> like we'll divide people in children's ministry, we'll divide people in youth ministry, we'll divide people, because to your point, people come from all different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's uh, always a wonder when your pastoral authority as a senior pastor goes out to see so quickly, uh, no, please, please right. don't make us do this. We don't <laughs> want to do this. But then we began yeah, to yeah. imagine it um, as telling stories, right? As telling God's mm -hmm. stories, gospel stories, good stories. And you start to imagine the early church that the Old Testament uh, was full of baptism stories. And of course, the New Testament with Lydia and her family, the Philippian jailer and her family, the Ethiopian eunuch, some amazingly interesting baptism stories. And so if we mm -hmm. start to concentrate on that, baptism becomes a gift and it becomes, I think, the unifying gift that God intends it to be. It's it's quite ironic, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. But in, in truth, there's like 12 baptisms, uh, 12 faiths, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that's well, well done for, you know, to working through that and yeah, <laughs> soldiering on, you know, in the year long process. Um, what, you know, as you have studied a bunch of you know, the early church and so many different traditions from monks and Orthodox priests and everything, you know, kiddie pools. What has been a surprising uni unity that you have found in your research and in your in your own work on baptism between so many different traditions? Yeah, that's that's a wonderful question. I, I think one of the gifts is that when we go back to the early church and it had a profound appreciation for baptism, most folks will kind of uh, be interested in learning from the early church. You know, when we find out that Ambrose, mm -hmm. who baptized Augustine, was pretty excited about baptism. And so the whole season of Lent is a kind of a baptism mm -hmm. training. And then the season of Eastertide afterwards is kind of a baptism reflection, because often baptism mm -hmm. happened on the eve of Easter, right? Um, Easter yeah. vigil. Mm -hmm. So I think when people hear that, those stories and kind of tap in, then they're interested in, wait a minute, this is our, I mean, the early church isn't just history. It's, this is our people, right? Mm -hmm. This is our story. These are our folks. And uh, most people are pretty interested in learning from them. There's a sense in which the early church feels a little less corrupted, maybe. I don't know if it was, right. but it feels yeah. like then the Reformation, we kind of splinter off in a bunch of different things, but the early church it right. was like a solid place to go back to. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. little, um, yeah, amazing. Like some of the things they do and how they do it is pretty interesting. But uh, like the flinging water into the congregation, that's something the Orthodox have done on the backs of the early church for, for centuries. And it's kind of fun to do those same things, right? Yeah. So where would you recommend if people are like, oh, yes, that's fantastic. Do you have any 
at books or, or things that you would recommend for, for folks to chase up besides your own that you reference a lot of these things? Yeah, right. I do. Uh, this may sound self-serving, but I do think my book is an attempt yeah, to make all those is, is, uh, yeah. stories accessible and readable. In, right. There's uh, four sections in the book. The second section is a kind of rehearsing of the ancient liturgy. So it has mm -hmm. a chapter on turning your back on Satan, that God, that scene in the Godfather movie, do you renounce Satan in all his ways? Well, he says he yeah, is renouncing, yeah. but he isn't really right. that classic scene. Right. And then this idea yep. of putting, of being anointed and then putting on baptismal new clothes. Um, mm. That's an attempt at it. There, if you're a, a scholarly kind of person, there's a huge book by Everett Ferguson, which is about a thousand pages, which is just chock full of stories and lessons from the early church and baptism. So if you're kind of a theological nerd like I am, and maybe some of your listeners are, that's that's one place to go. But for average okay. people uh, who aren't maybe scholarly, I think my book is an attempt to be that kind of bridge or, or start. It is. It is a good bridge. It really is. I was um, just struck with the way in which you, what I love to say is, you know, you, you are wearing your learning lightly, um, but it's obviously infused with a whole lot of research um, and, and deep thought. So, so I like so that phrase you. a lot. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. I love going for a walk and it's not just moving my body. I find that walking like neuroscientists have told us is actually good for so much. The brain works differently. New neural pathways are created. We're more creative and it's not just the brain. As we walk, we can actually grow and enlarge our souls. So I want to invite you this Lenten season to walk at a human pace. I am going to have a 40-day meditative companion for you as you go on a walk this Lenten season. I will read some scripture to you and ask you some thoughtful questions to help prepare not only your body, but your mind, heart, and soul as we all walk towards Easter this Lent. It'll be available for purchase on March 1st. And if you want a reminder, head to my website at aahales.com. To get a reminder, go to aahales.com so you will be walking with me at a human pace. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. What's your hope? for 
for Christians in this divisive moment of time, and I'm sure it's not like this is new, um, but it feels a little bit more forceful, I guess, you know, in the last several years um, that Christians have tended to divide. So what's your hope for us as Christians across the world to begin to to get back to the, you know, the real, the, you know, back to the sources, back, you know, back to being in worship, back to baptism. Um, how do we begin to do that? Or, you know, in our normal everyday lives, what does it look like to, to work towards unity? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. Um, I tell a story in, in, at the end of the book, uh, there's a chapter on Christian unity, really, and there's a sense of mm-hmm. hope that we're trying to te- that I'm trying to tease out in the book. I have a, a good friends mm-hmm. from a lot of different traditions, and one of the good friends I mm-hmm. talk about in this final chapter is my friend Doug, who's an Assembly of God pastor, who will tell me as a Reformed mm-hmm. Christian what that what you do with infants. Now we baptize people of all ages and all backgrounds, and you'll see that in the book. But right, um, yep. we are we also baptize uh, infants, uh, small people, bringing them in at the beginning. And he says, whatever that yep. is, that isn't baptism. Um, and I appreciate his honesty and I appreciate his love for me. And I appreciate the fact that we're friends and he can say that and we'll still go to breakfast together. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I yes. do. That's, that's the hope. The one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I tell the story of being in St. Peter's square and um, some people might be uncomfortable in that Catholic setting, but I, I loved it. I, I reveled in it, this idea uh, there were thousands of people from different languages and backgrounds and different skin tones. Mm. And there they were uh, on a Sunday morning celebrating uh, a worship service together. And then the Pope went around mm-hmm. in his Pope mobile. And it wasn't so much uh, a crowning uh, idolatry kind of stuff. It wasn't that at all. It was this people around me were, were saying, Papa, Papa uh, is this mm-hmm. much loved mm-hmm. leader of the church. And I, I could mm-hmm. imagine in on that sort of sun-soaked Italian day what it might be like to have people from different languages and cultures and backgrounds saying, "This is us. This is these. These are yeah. we're, we're together." And I think our baptism really shows us the way. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it has the power. If we, I mean, because there's a lot of things we separate on as Christians, but there's a lot of really huge things we're together on. Mm-hmm. And the message mm-hmm. of baptism at its core is something we're really together on. So my hope is my friend, even though he doesn't, I know it's true, even though he doesn't agree with how we do it, he loves me and he loves our church and we want to be together mm-hmm. uh, in worship, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, can you distill for us, I think I skipped by this question, but you know, what is baptism? What is it about and, and why? Why do Christians baptize? We'll start back at the beginning. Yeah, there you go. Um, I think baptism, well, people say to me, should I be baptized? You know, how do I know if I should be baptized? And it's almost always true. If you're asking the question, you ought to be baptized. And when I say ought, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite professors was a guy named Lewis Smeads from Fuller Seminary. And he talked about Mm -hmm. the ought of obligation and the ought of opportunity. And you ought to be baptized Mm -hmm. because it's an opportunity to uh, step into the life of faith. So at the beginning of our life as Christians is baptism. And at the end of our life, uh, sometimes this is formalized in uh, the last rites, but it's really, we lean into our baptism. There's a lot of worship services that happen graveside that will say something like this uh, 
believers now finished their baptism. They've lived out mm. the final chapter of their baptism and they are now in glory. And um, baptism is this symbol, the sign that we belong uh, to God in a deep and powerful way that we are his. One of the chapters in the book talks about my conversation with Father Siloan, an Eastern Orthodox uh, abbot, who says, you Protestants don't get mm-hmm. it. You don't think highly enough of your baptism, yeah. which I think is probably yeah. mostly true. <laughs> because he thinks, <laughs> I think so too. Isn't it, yeah. isn't it interesting? He, he's like, no, something physically almost changes in you. It's, 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 your soul is brought in, but your whole being is is made new by your baptism Mm -hmm. and sometimes we protestants want to go that don't want to go that far it's awfully fun to Mm -hmm. think about and it's awfully fun to kind of lean into uh that kind of idea that it it fundamentally Mm -hmm. changes who we are and makes us uh, a new being and makes us new people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and maybe one thing actually to contrast that it one there's a kind of slice of the church that thinks of baptism mostly as testimony, mostly as my personal right. decision, my personal. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. love those people in the church. This is my friend who um, is the um, AG pastor. He's in that side of the church. But I would, I would say to them, that's a wonderful part of it. But I think a bigger part of it is what God is doing. And why don't we kind of lean into that? Because I think there's a lot of room to, mm-hmm. to be uh, agreed in that mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of thinking, right? Yes. Why do you think, you know, I was just thinking often we we can understand the import of communion, the other big sacrament, um, right. you know, as we take in the body and blood and we chew it. Um, and baptism also is wonderful in that it's bodily and with material things that we can touch and see. And right. um, I think we kind of, in some ways, we can understand the sacrament of communion it makes a little bit more sense to us than baptism. Do you do you have any thoughts on on why that is? Yeah, that's that's a great question too. They're so full of mystery, both of them, aren't mm-hmm. they? Um, and again, uh, communion, Eucharist. It's ironic that both sacraments are things we divide over our understanding yeah. of yep. them. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of room for both of them to become gifts. I think if we tell stories. Mm-hmm. And if we kind of open the table and welcome people from different traditions in a way that's both deep and real and honest to who we are, mm-hmm. um, but also hospitable, invitational to say, we invite, in our, in our congregation, we say, um, if you'd like to participate, we'd love to welcome you to this table. And then we'll go, we'll go into an ancient liturgy or part of an ancient liturgy uh, called the lifting up of your heart basically. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, I think, I think they're both intended to be good gifts. I think more uh, what we've learned as a church in our journey, I talk about this in my book uh, called the gospel and the handshake, which Mm -hmm. came out during COVID. So if you want to (laughs) poorly name a title during COVID, uh, it came out like two months before COVID hit the United States. Right. So gospel and a handshake and then nobody shakes hands for the next three years yeah that worked well (laughs) but it describes our journey as a church from kind of uh more prototypical you might say evangelical worship to something Mm -hmm. more uh kind of older Mm -hmm. and i think those older the older liturgy has built-in reminders and connections with baptism and communion which um 
in our early days of the church, we thought were somehow against mission, like like baptism would kind of muddle the waters for someone outside the church, or communion would somehow muddle the waters for someone outside the church. And I understand that, but I think it's historically true and tangibly true in our section of California. That people mm-hmm. are intrigued by these beautiful old rituals, and they want yeah. They're not put off by people who know who they are, especially if yeah. that, they hold that with that kind of loose grace mm-hmm. uh, where they recognize it's a gift. It's not like we've done these things so we're better and superior. It's more right. we participate in these things and we're inviting you to as well. Right. We know our own weirdness. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. And you're invited to be weird with us. Come right, join right, the right, weird. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah. Those who need grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really good. What do you, you know? What's your hope for for churches as I as I read this book, or maybe they're incorporating some of these more ancient, historically rooted liturgies to help us remember who we are. You know that also that we, you know, our identity isn't just now as twenty first century Americans or Australians or Germans. You know that we are actually united across space, but also across time. Uh, yeah, what's your hope for for the book? Yeah, I love I love that question. That's something we try to keep emphasizing. So here we are in this modest sized congregation in Northern California in the suburbs yeah. of Sacramento. And and you as a listener are where you are and you are where you are in Colorado. But baptism uh, really helps us see the big picture of the church, doesn't it? So yeah. Yeah. when there's a conflict in Ukraine, we think not only do we care because we're people who care, but these are people who have been baptized. These are, mm. these are our sisters and brothers. This is not just news information. This is our family. Yeah. Um, it's also true of uh, the Russian people in its own way. They have a long history of following Jesus. And um, we want to pray for them as they live out their baptism, right, at this crucial moment in time. So um, I think to have this picture of people who have gone before you, uh, baptism unites us. And fundamentally, doesn't it? It unites us with Jesus, with Christ. It unites us with a local church. And then through that local church, it unites us to this whole band across space and time. So you hear stories from Martin Luther and you think, yeah, he's with me, both the good and the bad and the ugly. (laughs) And there's all of that. You know, uh, Anselm Augustine, yep, there with all their kind of beauty and weirdness, they're they're with me too. Mm -hmm. Um, But it keeps us, I think, from being too focused on our, I mean, it's one thing, I say this in the chapter in the book, it's one thing to love our country. Here's just one, I know you love concrete living. So here's just one little concrete thing. It's beautiful to love your country, but how do we not idolize our country? Like how do we love it, but not idolize it? I think baptism can help, right? How do we both be against evil, but not be someone who's uh, terrible to be around? I think baptism... (laughs) Can, can help. And I think it, yeah. uh, how do we decide whether or not to come back to worship after we've been gone and said, hey, you know, skiing on Sunday is quite, quite nice. I kind of like that quite a bit. <laughs> I think because we remember these are the folks we've been baptized with. I had, um, there's always, there's always stories. So someone came to uh, a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'd, I'd like to be baptized and my three, she's got three kids in grade school, sort of like Lydia and her family wanting to be baptized. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, and so she says, would that be okay? And I said, well, of course, that'd be great. We'd love it. And then she says, um, 
yeah, but if I'm baptized, do I become a member of the church? And that's where, you know, traditions divide. But the way we think about it, I say, well, yeah, because you become, when you, how can you be back? Well, put it positively. To be baptized is to join this local church as it represents the church of all time and spaces. And you want to be part of that big, global, huge family. So again, sort of that becomes not a, a box to check membership, but it becomes hopefully a gift that reinforces mm-hmm. that you belong. Right? Yes. And I love, you know, the word member, right? It means like it's a body part, like part you belong of, right. to this thing. Yeah. Right. It's By not definition, like a member you... in a country club. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> mm, that's good. Yeah. Well, thank you for just infusing us with some hope and unity, I think, around yeah, the issue of baptism. Obviously, there are strong theological differences um, that many of us hold. How would you recommend maybe, you know, as we think, you know, I, you know, my husband's a Presbyterian pastor, so we baptize babies. Um, And so, you know, how do we both hold our particular theological convictions, um, but also become that hospitable, welcoming place to you know, to be able to um, move across divisions that, especially, I just think, you know, I'm not sure, obviously, what the next few generations of Christian faith will look like in the West, but it feels like we definitely need to figure out ways to work across traditions um, so that we are the hands and feet of Jesus where we are, rather than, you know, double down on the minutia of, of difference. So how do we both hold something strongly and yet have that loose looseness that you're talking about? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. And uh, I'll, I'll give a beginning of an answer, maybe. Or I you think... can tell us a story as you do so well in your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, baptism has the power to bring us together in ways that few things do. Mm-hmm. Because um, you think back to that that. Uh, conversation I had with my staff. Let's let's talk about baptism for a year. Uh, no, but right. the truth is we're always looking for ways to bring our various traditions together. So we spent a year in the Psalms. So if you want a, a book, so if you ask an Orthodox person, do you believe in the Psalms? Yeah. Do you ask a Baptist person? Yeah. Do you ask a Presbyterian? Sure. Everybody believes in the Psalms. Yeah. So that becomes something that brings us together, that pulls us together. And if you spend time in the Psalms, soon you want to memorize the Psalms. So we spent a year memorizing together. People mm-hmm. say, I can't memorize. And we say, well, you, of course you can't memorize. I can't memorize either. Let's not memorize together. What if we say, the Lord is my shepherd? People say, ah, you can memorize. Look at that. <laughs> so, so baptism becomes in that tradition where you can uh, bring people together without mm-hmm. dumbing them down, right? It's mm-hmm. like, this is, this is core. This is the family way. And the family has different, you know, it has different uh, cousins and different people in different places who think differently about how we do this. But I think if we think about baptism and talk about baptism, not as we not like those people over there, but more right. like here's here's the gift we experience it as. Mm-hmm. I think it has a lot of power and potential to bring us together. Um, yeah, across. So, it, I mean, it's just a beautiful uh I think opportunity, like what you said, to think, oh, for the next generation, we're not going to have time to focus on minutia. I think of Jesus' prayer in John 17, right? 
this is my prayer that they would come together and they would be together. It's one of the, just this profound sense of belonging. So that's, that's what I'd like to tap, tap into. I often think you talked about a story. I often think, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to go through life? Like, wouldn't you want to go through life as someone baptized? It's, it's no wonder the family emphasized this because if you think mm-hmm. I belong, I'm graced, I'm going to yeah. mess up today, but I'm loved. And because of what Jesus did, the early church thought in Jesus' baptism, we ourselves were baptized, right? Or we mm-hmm. are commissioned. So when we, when he hears, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, mm-hmm. we can hear, you are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just such a powerful uh, it is. Sh- shaper, mm-hmm. right? It is beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for helping us just think uh, more concertedly about our baptism and and how we might learn and grow and be generous-hearted towards others. So thank you. Um, but as we conclude, as you know, I love to ask everyone their laundry routine. So Kevin, will you tell us what your laundry life looks like? Well, I'd love to say I get up and say I'm baptized, and then I have baptized laundry <laughs> routines, but that's not quite how it is. My laundry routines are pretty ordinary. So um, as a pastor for a number of years now, I, um, you know, Sunday is kind of a big day. And uh, mm-hmm. it's not the only big day, but it's always a big day. So yep. I have this routine where Sunday, I'm, people say, are you extroverted or introverted? And I say, yes. Right. Right. But as time goes, what the situation requires. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. So, uh, but Sunday is for sure an extroverted day, right? There's lots of wonderful conversations. There's lots of taxing conversations. There's Mm -hmm. sometimes some drama. There's um, some beauty going on. So, Monday then becomes my introvert day. And laundry is the perfect introvert uh, task. So, Whatever is there, usually things accumulate over the week, and uh, I'll be at my desk uh, working on stuff, and I'll be running back and forth to the washer, washing machine and the dryer and doing laundry. There's a few laundry things that happen during the week, but a lot of it happens on Monday. But On Monday. The maybe after this conversation, I can think, how does baptism and laundry fit together? There you I'll go. think some more about okay, that. Okay, you let All me right. know. <laughs> I will let you know. <laughs> oh Well, thank you so much, Kevin. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Ashley, this has been a gift, and uh, I love our conversation together. It's been fun uh, catching up on some of your podcasts and the spirit with which you do it. I'm just so grateful for you and for your work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kevin Adams. His book, Living Underwater, is linked in the show notes. I encourage you to pick up a copy. It's readable. It's interesting. It's helpful. It'll make you laugh and give you hope for the church. So go grab a copy at the link in the show notes. And as I do each week, I want to leave you with one small step. And I'm going to give you two, actually, sorry, this week. The first is as you wash your face, splash yourself in the water and remember I am baptized. Say it out loud. Look at yourself in the mirror and remember that you are baptized. That is your individual small step. And secondly, in a corporate small step, I'm going to encourage you to read something from another Christian that is outside your tradition on baptism. I'm going to link a few things in the show notes to make it easy. You can also pick, of course, Kevin Adams' book up. But we need to begin to move beyond our own experiences in our own places, in our own moments in time, 
to actually remember that we are part of a worldwide body of Christ. And if you are not a Christian or you don't identify as a Christian and you're listening to this podcast, I'm so glad you're here. And I hope that maybe you'll check out some of those weird Christians. (laughs) Have a conversation. What does your baptism mean to you? Because this looks weird from the outside. Um, But maybe we can begin to start some good conversations. Thank you, friends, for being here. It is a delight and privilege to be a part of your weekly routine. So if you have not yet, I would encourage you to leave a review or a rating on Apple Music. It helps folks find this podcast and it helps us continue to have good conversations about the deepest things that matter. Remember, big things matter, but so does your laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.